0: All right, everybody, why don't we go ahead and um, get started. Uh, Welcome back. We're going to be talking today about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin, as we always do, with a prayer. And this is a a prayer, comes out of the prayer book, as most of our uh, opening prayers do. And um, this is a collect for guidance, but it really really calls upon the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. So I thought it was an appropriate prayer for us today. So let's... um, Let's bow our heads in prayer. O Heavenly Father, in whom we live and move and have our being, we humbly pray thee so to guide and govern us by thy Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget thee, but may remember that we are ever walking in thy sight, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we wrapped up our conversation about uh, belief in God the Son. We talked about the work of Jesus Christ. That is what he has done for us. Good morning. good to see you guys. Um, we talked about his death, his descent, his resurrection, his ascension, um, his session, and his future coming again, future return. And that class always tends to generate lots of questions. And um had some questions last week, some questions this morning. And I do want to encourage you all. I, I, I appreciate the questions because... For one thing, they sort of help me to know what's tracking and what's not tracking, but also it kind of helps me um, get a, just a little window into kind of where your hearts are and what you're curious about and, and what's going on in your lives. So please, I want to encourage you to, to ask questions you know, during class. Feel free to interrupt me um, or to wait after class or even during the week. If you want to drop me a text or an email or something, I'd be glad to, um, to take a swipe at any of your questions. Today, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about the second person of the, or third person rather, of the Trinity, Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, um, and I. This is of the of the three sessions um, or, or chapters rather on what we believe as Christians: belief in God the Father, belief in God the Son, belief in God the Holy Spirit. Obviously, in some ways, belief in God the Son is so central to that because of the cross and what Jesus did for us on the cross. But this third um, session, third chapter. Um, is really my favorite because I find that of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that is the, the most confusing and the least understood to people in the pews. I just, just find that, generally speaking. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, so we have here this, well, first let me say this fresco of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's often depicted as a dove in art and, and, and in Scripture as well. Um, today we're going to be talking about Two things, the personality of the Holy Spirit, that is who he is, but then also the work of the Holy Spirit, that is what he does for us. Same format that we took with talking about belief in God the Son. But, but now for the funny story, I, <clears throat> um, for many years, pastored in the little town of Darlington, South Carolina. If you're not from the Carolinas, Darlington is about two hours up the road, if you take... Um, 26 to 95, where Interstate 20 and Interstate 95 inter- intersect. Right there is Florence, South Carolina. That's a larger town. And then off to the side is the little town of Darlington. And um, little town of about 4,000 persons. But up the road was this larger, well, I say city. It's a small city, but large compared to Darlington, of Florence. And Florence is sort of the hub of that region of the state. That region of the state is known as the PD. Um, named for the PD River that is so prominent in, in that um, part of the state. So in the PD, Florence is is the big city for us, anyways, where we went shopping, where we went to the movies, and so on. Cardinal Parish of uh, Florence is St. John's Florence. This is a picture here, circa 1900. Not as old, obviously, as Charleston, but um, but old for that part of the state. And at St. John's Florence, there was a longtime legendary rector, senior pastor named Parson Pointer. Parson Pointer left an impression on the entire community, not just on St. John's Florence, but really all of Florence. You would find people who, who remembered with fondness Parson Pointer, even if they weren't part of the parish. And there's a story that's told about Parson Pointer and the Holy Spirit that goes like this. One Sunday, Parson Pointer was teaching a class, kind of like our class here today. And one of his parishioners raised their hands and Parson Pointer pointed to her and she said, Parson Pointer, you know, I I think I understand God the Father. You know, he's our Father, Creator, so on. I think I understand God the Son and and how the cross, you know, saves me and how it relates to me and through faith and all of that. But, But could you please just explain God the Holy Spirit? And as the story goes, Parson Pointer just sort of looked up at the sky, put his hand on his chin, and after a while said, Holy Spirit, well, he's a peculiar old fella. And that was all he said. (laughs) And that's how we feel. The Holy Spirit, he's a peculiar old fella. What's he like? I think for many of us, Um, We can say, I understand God the Father. Um, I understand God the Son. But as for the Holy Spirit, well, you know, I, I got nothing. So if you feel a little confused, you are not alone. And my hope is that we'll shed some light on the Holy Spirit today. I want to start with looking at what the Holy Spirit is like, the personality, the person of the Holy Spirit. John Stott, who is the author of our book, described him this way. He said he is a shy, reticent, Self effacing spirit. And what Scott is talking about here is that the Holy Spirit's chief witness, our chief ministry rather, is to bear witness to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit has something like a spotlight ministry on God the Father and God the Son. If you go to a production in a playhouse, in a theater, If the spotlight's doing its job, you're not paying attention to the spotlight. You don't see the spotlight. You see the thing that the spotlight illuminates. And in many ways, the Holy Spirit is often like that, bringing um, the Son and the Father into our our minds, our lives, our imaginations, um, and into our hearts. So the Holy Spirit is the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Let's start with some basic facts about the Holy Spirit. Uh, The person of the Holy Spirit. He is, um, as we've said, God, the third person of the Trinity. He is eternal. The Holy Spirit has always been. Um, He is active in creation, shares in its renewal. So God the Father is the creator. But as we read in Genesis, the Holy Spirit was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what, is that, what image does that bring to mind? You say, something is hovering. What do we think about? What animal? Yeah, like a bird. And that, that's where we have this image of the Spirit. It's like a dove. Um, even from the beginning, from the first book in the Bible, the Spirit hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit is active in creation. Uh, Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's with us here right now. But let's dig a little bit deeper. What about his personality? Well, the first thing that needs to be said is that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is a living person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Now, this is difficult for us to grasp because Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. But be that as it may, again, Holy Spirit, we refer to as he, not not it. In fact, I've known some Christians, in order to remind themselves of this fact, they will remove the definite article when talking about, they won't say the Holy Spirit, they'll just say Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit was there at Jesus' baptism. Holy Spirit is here with us now. Holy Spirit is at work in the life of the church. So it's like a name, Holy Spirit. Just to remind them, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. Now, Jesus and his apostles spoke of Holy Spirit as having a personality. They spoke of him as having a mind, feelings, a will. As for his mind, we are encouraged to have the mind of the spirit, as Paul wrote in Romans. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. There it is, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As for his feelings, we're told that we can grieve the spirit. Paul wrote in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As for his will, we see the Holy Spirit's will at work as he chooses to give us different gifts by his own determining. All these, that is spiritual gifts, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now we're going to talk more about spiritual gifts here in just a moment, but the point is, Holy Spirit gives this gift to you and this gift to you and this gift to you and this why why because that's what he wants to do he has a will so the point of all this is to emphasize that holy spirit is a person he is a he not an it not he is in masculine but he is in person so that's who the spirit is but what does he do well let's talk now about the work of the holy spirit we're going to begin by looking at a passage from the Gospel according to John. If you've got your Bibles, you can use one of the classroom Bibles. On the classroom Bible, it's page 902. I want to look at a passage here where we um, are given an insight into Holy Spirit. Let me just set this up for you all. This is what we're about to read takes place near the end of Jesus's life. Um, he is <clears throat> preparing to go to the cross. The setting is the last supper. So, you know, they're gathered around for that last meal. And Jesus is getting his disciples ready for what's about to take place in a few hours. He's going to leave them. He's going to die. And he wants them to be ready. Now, of course, as we read, um, as things progress, they, they, they were not <laughs> ready. Um, they... they they ran away in fear. But um, and of course, Peter denied him. But, but Jesus is trying to explain to them that he is going to send a gift. He's going to send Holy Spirit. So let's, let's read uh, John 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, It is to your advantage. This is in verse seven. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, why on earth would it be to the disciples advantage that Jesus would leave them? I mean, they sure didn't experience it as an advantage, at least initially. Um, Or to put it another way, how is the work of the spirit better or greater than the work of the son? What do you think? How is the work of the Holy Spirit better, greater, different than the work of the Son while he was here on earth? The Holy Spirit was always meant to remain like Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit was going to remain with us always whereas Jesus was always in need. Yes, so the Holy Spirit is with us always. Jesus was only with us for a time. Yes, Ginny, you as well. Yes. And so he Yes, because that's that spotlight ministry we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. What other ways was Jesus limited in his time on earth? Well, he was a man and had a body. Man has a body? So how many places could he be at one time? One place at one time. Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once. So, in a sense, if you want to sort of the picture I imagine in my mind is um, going back again to that time we lived in Darlington, the, the local little country club. They kind of put the country in club, but the local country club put on a, a fireworks show, and it was down the bottom of the. This, they had this golf course, a rolling hill, and the kids could go down because we knew all the people who were lighting off the fireworks. And you see all that there are these canisters right there, and in, 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 you know canister one, canister two, canister three, and they're going to light them off. But they're just in one one space. But once they light the fuse and, you know, the whole town could see the fireworks. And in a way, it's sort of like that with Jesus. He, he was in a particular place, a particular time. He could heal this person. But there are all these other people over, you know, the next county who he can't heal. He didn't heal. Um, he wasn't with. But Holy Spirit can be with everybody all at once. So there's a sense that, that, that the ministry of Holy Spirit, it universalizes the presence of Jesus. Like a, like a firework. The second thing, and this is a little more subtle, but um, it's, 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 it's important, is that the ministry of Holy Spirit, um, it also internalizes the presence of Jesus. Now, now, let me explain what I mean by that. When Jesus is interacting with people in the Gospels, clearly, as the Son of God, he has this unique relationship with the Father. And through his relationship to the Father, He receives power from on high to heal people. He has special insight into people's hearts. All that's coming from the Father. Um, And yet, he is still working on people from the outside. I mean, in the same way that I could have an influence on you, you could have an influence on me. You're influencing me not from within, but from without. Holy Spirit, on the other hand, works in here, from within. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is universalized. He's omnipresent. It's everywhere at all time. And secondly, it's also internal, internal in the life of the believer. So for that reason and, and for what Jenny said and Vinny said, uh, for all of those reasons, it is to our advantage that Jesus went away. Earlier in John, Jesus, Jesus explained this internal ministry of the witness I'm um, in this uh, of the Holy Spirit rather in this way. He said, where ask the father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promised how through his spirit. The Spirit of God is at work in you right now. Right now. The Apostle Paul described this internal work of the Spirit this way. He wrote uh, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the internal work. Of the Spirit. Now, what on earth is the Spirit doing there? We, we, we've now received the witness that the Spirit's in our hearts, but, but what's He doing in our hearts as He dwells there? Well, the creeds don't go into detail about the work of the Spirit, um, but the New Testament does. And we find in the New Testament seven primary areas of Holy Spirit's ministry. So we're going to run through those seven. I hope we can get through them all this morning. The first is Christian conversion. It is Holy Spirit that brings people to faith. Billy Graham was arguably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. Billy Graham died in uh, 2018. A couple of pictures here with Billy Graham with the author of our book, uh, their younger years and and later years of of their lives. They were good friends and had a great deal of respect for each other, John Stott and Billy Graham. And... You'll often hear people say that Billy Graham brought millions to Christ. But technically that's not right. It's Holy Spirit who brings people to faith in God. Now, Billy Graham was his instrument. Billy Graham showed up. Billy Graham did what Holy Spirit told him to do. But at the end of the day, it's Holy Spirit who opens the door to faith in our hearts. Holy Spirit yearns for broken sinners to come back into relationship with God and thereby be saved. Now let's go back to that passage that we looked at earlier in John chapter 16, because in it Jesus explains that Holy Spirit brings people to faith by convicting, or, or we could also um, translate that as convincing the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, deep down in every heart, every human heart. Though we often don't realize it or recognize it, there is a longing to be reconciled to God. There is a longing to be in relationship with God. I would argue that even the most ardent atheists, though they may deny it and push it down, that deep down inside there is a longing to be connected to their Heavenly Father in relationship. We have this universal sense that that we are somehow alienated from God. Um, some even experience this as a sense of unworthiness. And Holy Spirit begins to work on us with a, a stab of, of our conscience or the pain of guilt. May we begin to see things in our lives and begin to say, you know, this, this thing I'm doing, this, this thing I keep doing, um, these thoughts I'm having, they're just not right. They're just not right. So, so we know that. And, and Holy Spirit begins to stir up our conscience. We may even begin to feel some anxiety about the coming judgment of God and, and all that... Um, that, that, that awaits us. And, and, and all of this is prompted by Holy Spirit. But then he begins to open our eyes to see the saving power of Jesus Christ. That no matter how low we have sunk, no matter what wicked things we have done, that the cross of Christ is sufficient to cover all of that. And that Jesus came to save us from the death that we deserve. And, and, and so we begin to repent and to believe and experience new birth and new life. That's why the Nicene Creed refers to Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. And you realize, thanks be to God, my sins are not going to be counted against me. Not by my own deserving, I don't deserve it, but by the blood of Christ. By the free gift from God, the grace of God. We're given a new life through this faith that the Spirit fosters in us. And once you understand that, all of this, then it begins to take the anxiety out of evangelism because um, you, know, you all have been given a job description. All Christians have the same job description. And that job description is to go out into all the world making disciples of all nations. And one of the things I've found in general, and you all come from, from different, um, I think most of you grew up in, in some church And and many of you came from a, a different branch of the Christian family tree. But I'll say one of the things that I've noticed about the Anglican branch of the Christian family tree is we tend to be very shy about evangelism. It is not our strong suit. And yet, all of you have a job description. All of you have been called by God to go out and share the good news. That's what evangelist means. Share the good news in your work, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. But once you begin to realize that, well, evangelism, really, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit converts hearts. So I don't need to feel like I'm going into some relationship as a salesman. I'm like trying to make a sales pitch and trying to, you know, commit someone to, to take the Jesus that I'm selling. All, all I have to do, all you have to do is to begin to find ways just to share who Jesus is, what he's begun to do in your life, what he has meant to you, what it means to be part of his community and so on. It's the Holy Spirit it changes the heart. So you don't feel like you have to take responsibility for the hard sell. You just have to show up and to be earnest and honest about what God has done in your life. Well, the second work of the Spirit is Christian assurance, which we talked about in chapter two. Our baptismal service puts it this way. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own Forever, That is, Holy Spirit will begin to assure you that you are a child of God. That you have been adopted. Holy Spirit empowers us to cry out with confidence, Abba, Father, Daddy. And when the enemy begins to whisper doubts in our ears like, God couldn't love you, God couldn't forgive you. Holy Spirit wells up and says, no, I am a child of God. I have been marked as Christ's own forever. I have been given an inheritance that cannot be taken away. I don't know where I found this little thing on the internet. You know, it's just a little painting, simple painting. I don't know, for some reason, it just touched me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And there's this little girl there. I mean, I don't know, it's just something about that. But that's, that's a picture of the blessed assurance. So the Spirit is at work giving us that assurance. Thirdly, um, the Holy Spirit is at work fostering holiness because the Christian life is a holy life. And the Christian life is a holy life because our God is a holy God. Now, holy is one of those words, holiness, that we sort of use sometimes as Christians, but it's not always easy to pin down. What, is it, what does it mean to be holy? What does that even mean? Holy. Set, set apart? Set apart? Different, Um, A little bit, you know, walking to a different footstep or to a different drummer than the world walks to? Distinct from the world around us? Well, let's press into that a little bit. If that's the case, if if holiness means to be set apart to be different, let's just imagine, I'm sure some of you all have neighbors who are not believers. Um, Maybe they're trying to live a good life. They're, you know, trying to do the right thing. But they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Practically speaking, I mean, just what are some practical ways that your life will look different than, than theirs? I mean, you're both trying to live a moral life, but how are you different? What activities do you do that they don't do because you're a Christian? Pray. Pray. What's that? Communion, communion yep. Yeah. And, and so communion is part of, I would say, kind of part of that is corporate you know worship, get, getting together with other Christians to worship on Sunday. I mean, let me ask you all this. Did, did anyone get caught in a traffic jam this morning? Anybody have to, to wrestle with traffic? Well, what are you crazy people doing, getting up on a Sunday morning, coming to worship? Uh, we're different. We're different than the world. Um, p- people people might begin to look at you sometimes and say, isn't that person a little odd? Every Sunday morning they get up and <laughs> go into worship. So pray, worship. What else? Sabbath. So Sabbath. So observing the Sabbath and different people have different ways of doing that. But, but in some way you and your family saying this day is different somehow set apart. What else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Say more. Like, in, in what way? Yeah. Um, like, if someone's needy, mm-hmm. literally addressing that need. Yeah. there. Yeah. So, so in that sense, uh, ministering on behalf of Christ. Yes, absolutely. How about how about this book? <laughs> how does this fit into all this? What's that? Priority, yeah. So, so we actually, as Christians, begin to learn how to read this for ourselves. And, and we'll talk more about this later in, in the class. Um, after the new year, we'll have two sessions in January. I'll say more about that at the end of the class. And one of them, we'll be talking about, how, how are you supposed to read this thing? For those of you who are just beginning on, on that journey. But yeah, I mean, people out in the world do not commit to trying to find God in the Bible. That's one of the things that makes us odd. Holy, set apart, Different. That's part of the work of Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, Book of Leviticus, God challenges His people. He says to them, "For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy." And in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter picks up on this same verse in in his first letter. He wrote this. He said, "As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance." But as he who called you is holy, so so as God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there's this sense that God is different than the world. He has different priorities. And we're to have his priorities. So as his name implies, Holy Spirit is committed to promoting holiness in God's people. So Holy Spirit not only shows Christ to us, but he also begins to form Christ within us so that the you of five years from now will look just a little bit more like Jesus than the you today. That's what Holy Spirit's doing, cultivating the person of Christ in you. As we discussed in chapter two, a good image for this, the human heart is like a garden. Now, just like a regular garden, I mean a real garden, you cannot make the tomato vine grow tomatoes. Okay, you cannot make the fruit come forth, no matter how hard you work. What you can do is you can cultivate the soil, you know, make, make the soil hospitable to the plant. And in the same sense, we can cultivate our hearts to make it hospitable for the work of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing you can do is you can pull the weeds. Okay, so when we begin to recognize, ooh, there's this pattern in my life. Um, that's, this is not holy. Um, we can begin to weed it out. I mean, th- this morning... Uh, Jeff and I were up at the altar. I was kind of getting the altar ready, and he's telling me, maybe you to shift it over here. And I turn around, I'm like, I can do it more Snapped at him. I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, bro, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not cool. That was not holy. Uh, but that's what I'm talking about, pulling the weeds out, pulling the weeds out. So we can't make the fruit grow, but we can cultivate the soil through prayer, through making time for Holy Spirit, and we can pull out the weeds that we recognize are not of the Spirit and be committed to that. That's what it means to live a holy life. Fourth work of the Spirit is Christian understanding. Jesus referred to Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Holy Spirit teaches us truth about God and ourselves. Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to be written. Um, As we say every week in the Nicene Creed, He spoke through the prophets. And so, because Holy Spirit is the primary author of scripture, obviously working through human authors, but but the Holy Spirit is the primary author, then He's also the primary interpreter. So, one of the things, again, we'll talk about this more when we get together in the new year for, for two more sessions. But when you begin to sit down and read the Bible, one of the things that I often am, I'm kind of always in a hurry, you know, get in the Bible, I'm going to read this, and, and often forget to stop and pray, Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, help me to understand. Help me to hear the voice of the Father as I read this. So it's important that we ask for Holy Spirit's help because Holy Spirit's the chief, chief author, therefore Holy Spirit is the chief interpreter and wants to help us to understand fifth work of the Spirit is Christian fellowship. That is, the Spirit draws us together in fellowship with one another. Um, Whenever we have young parents um, come and asking for their children to be baptized, the first thing we want to know is are you already active in this community? So, you got the right instinct, you want to have your children baptized, that's good, but but what you're promising to do is to be an active part of the body of Christ. And so that's the first question we have to ask is, are, are you active in the life of the community. Because if Holy Spirit is at work in a person, then Holy Spirit will indeed draw us into the community of the church. Now this cuts against the, uh, our, uh, the broader American culture. Again, if if holy is to be set apart, to be different, this is one of the ways that Christians are different uh, because our, our culture as it is, it values independence. I mean, we love, I know this is a little bit dated here, but we love the Lone Ranger. We love the Marlboro Man. We love, you know, an independent person. I guess more recent example, Steve Jobs was, you know, head of Apple I mean, he was independent. You know, he sort of cut his own path, did his own thing. But one of the primary works of Holy Spirit is to call us together into the church, now, I have heard people say during my life in ministry, um, you know, pastor, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. And while there's part of me that can kind of sort of sympathize with that, the reality is that spirit is offensive to the, spirit of, to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is, is calls us together in community. That's what Holy Spirit does. So to say, I don't have to be part of a community is to go against the Spirit Himself. Now, um, just, you know, if your wheels are spinning, maybe you all know some people in your life who say, well, I can be a Christian, I don't have to be, don't have to be part of a church. And if you're thinking about those persons, what, what I'll say, my experience is that when a person says that, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. My experience is that nine times out of 10, they have had some sort of hurtful experience in the church. That's that, that's my experience, is that something has happened to them. So if you know someone who's in your sphere of influence and says, I don't, you know, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. And if the spirit were to prompt you to speak into their lives, I would say do so with gentleness and with love, recognizing that maybe they had a very bad experience and maybe they're just being recalcitrant. (laughs) And in that case, you know, you can, you can come on strong, but um, oftentimes people get hurt. And so, so they, there's a time away from the church, but ultimately what Holy Spirit wants is to draw us together in community and in fellowship with one another. The Apostles' Creed um, put it this way. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. So you see, Holy Spirit and the church, they're, they're linked together. Because it is Holy Spirit who forms the church. It's Holy Spirit who called all of you all here. I mean, one of the first things we did when we got together is I asked you all, how did you end up here? And all of you had a little bit different stories. Some of you grew up in this church, but others are coming from all over the place. And Holy Spirit drew you here and into fellowship. The Church of Christ is essentially a fellowship. It's a community. We tend to think of the church as a building. It's not a building. We think of it as an institution. It's not an institution. The church is, is a fellowship of believers. It's a community. And you can't have fellowship by yourself. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.4. 4. He said, there is one body and one spirit. The Nicene Creed reminds us that there is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And those are the four marks of the church. The church is one. So there is only one church, which means that believers here at St. Philip's are part of the one church just as uh, faithful believers down at First Baptist are part of the one church. Jesus didn't come to form a bunch of different churches. He came to form one church. Now we worship a little bit differently. We have some nuances maybe in what we emphasize or deemphasize. We have different family customs, but there is only one church. And it is the church of all who have given their lives to Christ. One church. So one it is holy, that is, she is to be a church that is set apart from the world, just as we've been talking about. The world, that means the world sometimes is going to look at us again and say, wow, those Christians are a little bit odd. They're a little different. We are. We're holy. We don't make any excuses for that or apologies. We're Catholic. That is, Catholic, the meaning of that word is universal, comprehensive, spanning time and cultures, if you ever get a chance, I don't know if they're doing it uh, with the um, pandemic, but Mepkin Abbey, there's a, 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 an abbey of monks up in Goose Creek, Mep- Mepkin Abbey. And you can go visit it, and this time of year, they have a display of all these different nativities or crash scenes from all over the world. So there's Jesus and you know Mary and Joseph there, and the little and Jesus in the manger. But what's really neat is that um, you may have a crush from Japan, say, and the figures look Japanese, a crush from Africa, the figures look African. And there is this sense where obviously Jesus was a Middle Eastern, you know, Palestinian man with olive skin, but, but there really is a sense that his church is a church of, it's of all peoples. It's not a white church, black church. It's a church for, for all tribes, all peoples, all nations. And that's that sense, the, the, the Catholic sense. It's also Catholic in the sense that the church is made up of those who've gone before and those who've not yet been born. One of the things that's unique about Christians that sets us apart from the Jewish people is that we bury our dead in the churchyard. The Jewish people bury their dead outside of the city. We, we bury our dead, again, right next to the church, because those are are the saints, they're part of the church just as we are. In fact, they're more alive than we are, um, those who've gone before. So that's what that word Catholic means, comprehensive, spanning time, spanning cultures. And finally, it's uh, apostolic. That is, it is the church that upholds the teachings of the apostles. So if a church is apostolic, it upholds the word of God. Now I wanna say something um, to you all on a personal note. It is not always easy being part of a church. It's not always easy because a church is made up of people like me and you, broken sinners. And what broken sinners do is they hurt each other. That's what sin does. It it breaks down our relationship with each other. And so it's inevitable when you're part of a church that, that you're gonna get your feelings hurt being part of this community. Trust me. If you lean into this community, you begin to interact with other believers who are broken sinners. You will have your feelings hurt. But I often find that people are surprised when it happens. <laughs> um, whenever two people are are married, they take a solemn vow to love each other. Um, but guess what? Do husbands and wives hurt each other? I mean, some, a lot of you are married out there. Do husbands want wives hurt each Yes, they hurt each other. Yes, they do. Why? Because they're broken sinners. God's putting together two broken sinners. They're going to hurt each other. My favorite prayer in the wedding service is the prayer that, that puts that fact front and center. I love this prayer. The priest prays for the couple. Give them grace, not if, but when they hurt each other. Why when? Because we're putting together two broken sinners. And they don't stop being broken sinners when they're married. Give them grace when they hurt each other to recognize and acknowledge their fault. So first of all, to recognize it, ooh, I screwed up. And to acknowledge it, to have the courage to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? Give them grace when they hurt each other to to recognize and acknowledge their fault and to seek each other's forgiveness, please forgive me, and yours, God's forgiveness. Well, friends, if husbands and wives who have taken a solemn vow to love each other are going to hurt each other, guess what? Christians are going to hurt each other, too. So you just I, I just say that because people are often and I don't know what that's about. But people get surprised when they get their feelings hurt in the church. I'm thinking to myself, man, I hurt my wife's feelings, you know, nine times a day. I mean, you know, it's, so it's going to happen. But Holy Spirit is there at work and Holy Spirit is there to give us the courage. uh, uh, Well, first of all, the ability to recognize and acknowledge our fault and then the courage to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, please forgive me. And for the other person to say, I forgive you, I love you. And then you're back on track. Okay, so the sixth work of the Spirit, let's see if we can get this done here. The sixth work of the Spirit is Christian service the Holy Spirit not only draws us together in fellowship in a church, but the Holy Spirit wants to make this fellowship strong. The, church want, the, the Holy Spirit wants the church to be, um, to be fruitful in doing its work, both in the community, but out in the world as well. And in order to make that happen, the Holy Spirit gives to each person, each believer, gifts, spiritual gifts. Gift for you, 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 gift for you. All different, We all have different gifts, but each and every believer receives spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul used the image of the body of Christ. And um, he said, you know, we're one body, but many members, and each with a different function. And we're all different gifts, given different gifts. In the New Testament, there are four lists of gifts, adding up to about 21 gifts, And this list seems to be more examples rather than exhaustive. So there are probably more gifts than than are mentioned in scripture. Some of these gifts are supernatural, like miracles and healing. Some of them are very ordinary, like administration or generosity in giving. But even the more mundane gifts, like administration, when when we give them over to the Holy Spirit, we say, Holy Spirit, take this gift you give me and use it for the building of the church. The Holy Spirit takes it and amplifies it and empowers it and intensifies it so that the church can be built up to do her work both within the community but out in the world as well. So friends, God has given each of you a spiritual gift. Now what's the purpose of that gift? Well, it's a service gift. it's, It's a gift given to you to enable you to take your part in serving Christ in the church and out in the world. They're to be used for the common good so the church can be built up and grow into maturity. Now, during regular times, we have a little workshop to explore these spiritual gifts further. And um, I'm sort of debating whether or not, you know, it's appropriate for us to offer that in this season. So I might, you know, put a little questionnaire out. Generally, the way we have done that in the past is a Friday night, Saturday, kind of half day workshop to explore spiritual gifts for you to discover what your spiritual gifts are, to learn about them, um, so we may offer that in January. I'm still kind of working that out. And um, that would just be an offering if you want to participate. Great. And, and if it's not a good fit, that's okay. But, but that's a whole area where you can grow as a Christian is learning what your spiritual gift is and how you can use it because there's great joy in using those gifts once you discover them. Well, the final work of Holy Spirit is um, Christian mission. Holy Spirit yearns to, to take the good news of the gospel out into the world. He is a missionary spirit Jesus explained it this way um, when he said this. He said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this Jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's the spirit want to do? He wants to flow out of your heart in rivers of living water out into the world. William Temple was one of the great archbishops of the Anglican Church, and um, he commented on on this particular verse in this way. He said, No one can possess or rather be indwelled by the Spirit of God and keep that Spirit to himself. Wherever the Spirit is, he flows forth. If there is no flowing forth, he is not there. Now, you might kind of look at your own life and think, gosh, I don't, I don't know if Holy Spirit is flowing forth from my life. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Well, Nothing you need to worry about. You just say, Holy Spirit, you're in there. I know you're in there. Begin to flow forth from me. Now, the reality is, oftentimes, Holy Spirit is flowing out of us in ways that we don't even recognize. You're having an effect on the world that you don't even know God is working through you. But, but what better to say to the Spirit, um, Spirit, I want to cooperate with whatever it is you want to do. So help me to see where you want me to work and flow out of me um, wherever I am. And and that's in, in your vocation, whatever you do um, in your communities, in your families. Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost. This is a modern painting sort of depicting the Pentecost. And, and, and we see the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples like flames of fire and he did that to encourage the disciples and to send them out, to push them out further and further to take the good news of the gospel. And we too are called to have that same commitment to mission as well. Not only in, in foreign lands, we tend to think of missionaries as people who go off you know, to, to Africa, to Asia, but no, you're to be missionaries in your own life, your own jobs, your own communities. For those of you who are parents or godparents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, um, that begins with telling the young persons in your life about who this Jesus is, what the cross means, his love for them, and so on. So the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit, sending people out in mission in the world. Well, I think we will stop there. I don't I don't think I have time for questions. So if you've got questions, send me an email, drop me a text, give me a phone call. Uh, We can get together for coffee if you'd like and um, be glad to to answer any questions you might have. But why don't we go ahead and um, just bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present with us even now. I ask that you would fall afresh upon these, your sons and daughters. That they would have a a new and exciting sense of, of your work in their hearts, in their lives, and in the world. And Lord, send us out from this place ready and willing to serve wherever you have called us to serve. That your Holy Spirit indeed would flow forth from us like a river of living water And that all that we encounter today and interact with today um, would be drawn into relationship with you through your work in us. For we ask these things again in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Um, Okay, so we're gonna be on break for a week and then we'll have two more sessions after that, okay? Talking about Bible reading and prayer and I think the other one is Christian service. So anyway, I'll I'll email you all, but I'll, I'll... We'll have next week a break off, but God bless you all, and a Merry Christmas. And um, anyway, I look forward to being with you in the new year. So go in peace.